Welcome to week two of the summer breakouts for the Beatitude series. Uh, this is the message the Lord gave um, at the Mount as recorded in St. Matthew and St. Luke. Um, this is going to be recorded, posted online for anyone who can attend or would like to re-listen to the series again. Uh, opening text, just briefly, is Psalms chapter 2, verse 12, blessed of all they that put their trust in him. As with what we discussed last week, the giving is going to be a little bit different during the summer breakout sessions, tithe, offering, and the commitments to the Transformed Truth offering. Uh, you can give on the Truth Church Center app, and we'll have an usher at the door as you leave if you'd like to give as you walk out the door. We'll start with prayer for the three sessions for offerings and those in need of prayer. We want to continue to hold up Brother Ralph and his family over the loss of his wife and the, the family in whole. Um, as a reminder, the uh, memorial service, Sister Pam, is this Saturday, 1 o'clock here in the sanctuary for anyone that uh, would like to attend, who's able to. We need to continue to hold up Sister Ginger, Brother Gilbert, the entirety of the Gilbert home. Um, Gilbert families, Brother and Sister Jones, and other, any other needs we have across the church that I may not, may have missed or need to add. Okay. We, um, prayer is a precious thing and uh, uh, not something, I guess, that we should ever rush. So I'd, I'd like to pray for these, for the three sessions and for those in need, but also, you know, a prayer for what is sown inside of us from these three sessions. One of the things that has been prayed that is that God would have his free course in his way, that he would sow in us what we need so that we can endure and overcome and make our calling election sure. So let's go before the Lord in prayer. I, Lord, we just thank you for one more chance to walk in your sanctuary, one more chance to be in your presence, one more chance at your tenderness and your kindness and your grace. And we never want to take for granted one moment we never want to take for granted, Lord, the gift of life and air, hope, peace, and peace that passes all understanding. And we sit before you this night, God, transparent as we always are because you know our uprising and our downsetting. You know, Lord, where we're strong and where we're not quite so strong. And I ask you, Lord, that if you would search us and try our reins and God forgive us of everything in our lives that just hasn't lined up. All the places, Lord, we've fallen so short of your glory. All the places, Lord, that we knew to do good and we did it not. Those places Paul talked about, what I should, I do not, and what I should not, I do. Those places that we in our humanity, we struggle, Lord, to hold on. I ask you, Lord, to forgive us as a people, wash us and cleanse us. Create in each of us a clean heart and renew in each of us a right spirit. Anoint our ears to hear what thus saith the Lord, and let your word be sown on the inward parts of our hearts. Let your word be sown deep in us, Lord, that all the days of our life, it's your word that comes back again and again to refresh and to quicken us. For the three sessions today, anoint, anoint each of us that are speaking, anoint our lips and tongue to speak your word. And if there be anything else, Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would seize control of the moment. And lead us, Lord, where you would have us, even if it's off the path of the notes, that your name might be exalted. Cover, Lord, these needs of Brother Ralph and his family, Sister Ginger, Brother Gilbert, Lord, the Joneses, and many, many more, Brother Chris Donahue. Lord, so many, Lord, in need of a touch from heaven, so many in need of what only you can provide, Lord. You are the healer of every infirmity. You are the healer of every disease and sickness. And we call on you, Lord, as the people, bound together as one man in the street, knowing that you are able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ever ask or think. We ask you, Lord, for mercy and grace, compassion and truth. Let your name be exalted in our members. Let your name, Lord, be exalted in this series. We give you praise and glory for all things. In Jesus' name, Jesus' name. For any that have uh, heard me teach in the past, you know, I like to do what's called a parking lot. 
So if I get a uh, question that I'd like to take back and spend a little bit more time praying and studying and all, I, I don't want to haphazardly answer anything to deal with God. And um, praise the Lord for the happy birthday song over there. Uh, someone, someone may not be in the choir when it comes up. Just joking, just joking. Laughter is good for the soul. But I do a parking lot because I don't want to haphazardly answer questions. You know, sometimes we get asked questions in life and, and we want to, you know, just those quick answers. But it, with, when it comes to the word of God and the things of God, it's important that we don't carelessly answer questions at any time. Not with the meaning of the scripture, the interpretation, not with what thus saith the Lord. We want to be careful and let it be line upon line, line upon line, precept upon precept. And we want it to be right by the word of God. So last week someone asked me, is blessed, pronounced blessed or blessed? Simple, but it's something I've heard through the years many times. And I'd studied it before and I was like, you know, let me go back and study and pray a little bit more and see what I find. And, you know, as we get older, God opens our eyes to more things. And when we're new Christians, we see through one set of eyeglasses. But after five or ten years, we see through a different set of eyeglasses because we grow in wisdom and we grow in maturity over time. Um, so here's what I found. In the Greek, of course, it means to kneel, bless God, and act of adoration for him. And in vice versa, mankind for his benefit. I mentioned that last week. But in the Hebrew, it means supremely blessed, fortunate, well-off, and happy. I searched the Hebrew, Greek, and concordance, and the pulpit commentary. And I couldn't find anywhere where it said blessed versus blessed. <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> but the Webster Dictionary says blessed is how it's pronounced. So there you go. I think you're probably safe to say it whichever way the Lord would guide you. And if you get some great revelation that the Lord hasn't been gracious enough to give me, please tell me. Uh, I am very open to correction and rebuke, and uh, I have no problem with receiving that. So uh, let's move into the Beatitudes. And we know the, just the word Beatitudes is not a biblical word. It's something very common in our culture, just known as what's called the Sermon on the Mount, which to rabbit trail there. We know the word sermon's not in the Bible. I think everyone knows that message is. So um, so for the purpose of this, we're calling this the Beatitudes, B-attitudes, because it's about what's our attitude, good or bad. We talked about Matthew chapter 5, verse 3 last week, and I felt it was good to add a little bit more context to the text, if you will. Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Last week, we discussed the poor in spirit, including those of low intellect, mental capacity, things they are without their control. They're just not, they're not there as you and I. They can't perform and function like you and I. Have you ever known anyone? You have to care for them, those things, okay? We also discussed the example of a faithful saint who's affected due to things they have no control over, great sickness, disease, severely oppressed, afflicted, Side effects of medication that cause one to not be in their right mind. Faithful saint, but things come in their life they can't control. God doesn't charge you for something you can't control. We do, what's the scripture say? We do according to our faith, according to the measure of what we have and not what we do not have. And God applies this in us. He has compassion. Uh, God bears these up under the shadow of his wing because he knows they cannot stand on their own. And God holds these up, those who cannot stand on their own. So a few study notes, if you'd like to have this, the exact phrase kingdom of heaven is mentioned 33 times in the Bible. Every occurrence is in St. Matthew. The term kingdom of God is mentioned 70 times, all in the New Testament, and once again, 33 times in St. Luke. When we look at the the Sermon on the Mount, if you will, primarily it's mentioned in the writings of St. Luke and St. Matthew. So you'll see correlation there if you do some study on your own. 
And I thought that was a good study note if anyone was interested in that when you do your, your own time and devotions and studies. So let's move forward. Now thinking of the poor in spirit coupled with receiving the kingdom of heaven. For the scripture says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You see the compound in scripture? The poor in spirit, they have this attribute and the reward is this. You'll see this compound throughout the scripture, of course. What's it say in Second Chronicles? If, that great big word, if. If my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves. And if they'll pray. And if they'll seek my face. And if they'll turn for their wicked ways. Okay, four steps we got to do, okay? Then I'll hear from heaven. I'll forgive their sins. And I'll heal their land. And you'll see that same compound in quite a few places like Psalms and Proverbs. We see that same with the Beatitudes. So these are, are also those converted to have faith as a child. The conversion out of the world to be a child of God. Now think about the poor in spirit. Beginning we talked about the faculties aren't quite there. They don't have the knowledge, the wisdom, the understanding. It's not there. Does not a babe in Christ fit that same demeanor? When you first came in here, you probably couldn't quote the books of the Bible. But over the course of time, you grew in that skill, grew in that knowledge and that understanding. These trust their father to do what he says because they have unrelenting and unwavering faith as a child. And I'm going to say something, and I'll pray in Jesus' name this isn't in anyone, but if it is, God love you. Some think this is blind faith. That if God says that he can raise the dead, I just simply believe it. But some call that blind faith that over the course of years and many trials will fade away. But that's a lie. But that's a lie. We should have faith as a child regardless if you're a new convert or if you've been in the church 80 years faith as a child, to simply believe God that he cannot lie and that he can do what he says he can do. Regardless of what issues and trials of flesh and spirit we may have go through, we may go through or have gone through. When my youngest son was about six, I remember him standing right here on many, many occasions right by the pulpit, and I'd hear these words, Dad, catch me. And he would say it while he was in flight, <laughs> hurling toward me. Anyone that remembers, you can just give a wave offering, okay? It didn't matter if my hands were full. It didn't matter if my back was turned to him. He was jumping, taking a leap of faith. Faith is his child. He knew I would catch him at all cost, even if it meant I had to get out of my comfort zone. God does this for us. A father stands in the gap for his sons and daughters. A father casts him down as a sacrifice that his children are shielded and that they may live. Is this not what God did for you and I at Calvary? So that you and I might live and not die. Around that same time, he asked me for a bike. Of course, me being a dad, I said yes. Such an ecstatic and happy young boy, getting a brand new bike. He went on telling Brother Riley and anyone that would listen. And so to Danielle, you're here. You probably heard him on more than one occasion. In his mind, it was done. When his dad said, yes, it was already finished. It didn't matter that he couldn't see the bike. It didn't matter that he wasn't in his possession. And it didn't matter that days and weeks may have gone by without seeing the fruition of what he asked me for. I, I, I feel the Holy Ghost. I hope someone grabs a hold of this. If we ask God and he says, yes, it's done. It's done. There's no reason to worry or anything else. You may as well put on the biggest smile you can put on because your daddy is going to do whatever it is he said. God cannot lie. 
at any time, period. He was ecstatic every day. And I thought as I was writing this, what's the scripture say? Ask and you shall receive, seek and you shall find, knock and the door shall be opened unto you. He knew I would do what I said I would do, even though he could not see it and he did not have it in his possession. Faith is a child to simply trust. Faith is a child, and we're talking about blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, is to have complete and unwavering trust in God, to know what the Lord says in this book is absolute truth, and there is no other truth but the Father's, for God Almighty cannot lie. The text I'm about to read is very fitting for blessed are the meek, but it applies to the poor in spirit just as well. Matthew chapter 18, verse 1. At the same time came the disciples to Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called a little child unto him and sent him in the midst of them and said, Verily, the word verily means truly, I say unto you, except you be converted and become as little children, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whoso therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same as greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whosoever shall receive one such little child in my name receiveth me. But whoso shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck, and they were drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of offenses. For it must needs be that offenses come, but woe to that man by whom the offense cometh. The offenses in that last two verses are talking about what the world does to the sons and daughters of God. Because God's not going to hold them guiltless for what happens to you. But God will stand up for you. Let's move to Matthew chapter 5, verse 4. Blessed are they that mourn, for they should be comforted. The word mourn means to grieve, to wail, grief, mourning, sorrow. It means to experience a sensation or impression that is usually painful. Mourn means passion, suffer, and vex. And the natural, we apply this text to the losses we endure in this life, such as a family member or a dear friend passing, or the many crises of life, and everyone goes through crises at some point. And God does just what this text says. He comforts them in the midst of of their affliction in the midst of their issue. In the realms of eternity, blessed are they that mourn, grieve over the sin that is rampant in the world. It, it grieves them to the point that they are in physical pain when they walk this earth and see all that's done. It troubles them deeply in every step. They abhor sin they hate all sin, and no sin in any measure is acceptable to them, not even their own. They hate all sin. The very thing that's been ministered for many years in this church, that we must love God and love what God loves and hate what God hates, not to hate the sinner lest we find ourselves hating mankind and ourselves, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God or lest we be in the stead of God, for he alone is judge. But we hate the act of sin, whether it be in the world or within our own members. These that mourn are those grieved by this world and how it has forsaken and abused God, taking God's name in vain, the profanities, the vulgarities, and all that is they abhor abominations, all that defiles and what makes a lie. They hate false doctrines and that which steals the true word of God. And each time they see a teaching that is not scripturally sound, they once again mourn because they know this is a heaven or hell issue. There's some things, brothers and sisters, if you leave here tonight and go get a vanilla ice cream cone, it's not a heaven or hell issue. And if you go get a chocolate one, it's not a heaven or hell issue. But when it comes to doctrine and salvation and truth, that's a heaven and hell issue. 
and there's only one doctrine and there's only one truth, and that's God's. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 2, when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice, but when the wicked beareth rule, the people mourn. Just as the church mourns, so does the earth mourn over the wickedness in this world. In Jeremiah chapter 4, verse 27 through 28, for thus hath the Lord said, the whole land shall be desolate, yet will I not make a full end. For this shall the earth mourn, and the heavens above be black, because I have spoken it, I have purposed it, and will not repent, neither will I turn back from it. Hosea chapter 4, verse 1 through 3. Hear the word of the Lord, ye children of Israel, for the Lord hath a controversy with the inhabitants of the land, because there is no truth, nor mercy, nor knowledge of God in the land. By swearing and lying and killing and stealing and committing adultery, they break out, and blood toucheth blood. And just to pause, is that not the state of our world? Therefore shall the land mourn, and everyone that dwell therein shall languish with the beast of the field and with the fowls of the heaven. Yea, the fishes of the sea also shall be taken away. This land cries out to God. Just as when you lift up your hands to heaven, holy hands without wrath and doubt, you can be sure that every tree that branches are lifting up to heaven are lifting up holy hands unto God. Every blade of grass that shoots up as it waves, as the wind blows, is a wave offering perpetually to God. I could probably stay there a bit. Every time a bird sings, every time a bee hums, it's all to lift up the name of Jesus. There's a purpose for everything under the heavens. There's a purpose for everything in the earth. And if man won't worship God, the Lord will have someone worship him. If the Lord won't, if the people won't pray, the Lord will have someone stand before, between a porch and an altar. Who are blessed are they that mourn. These are the intercessors who rise at all hours of the day and night to intercede for those who cannot intercede for themselves. These live by the text to pray without ceasing. And even their thoughts are flooded with perpetual prayers. And often, and many people have witnessed this through the years, where they have sat and just interceded for people they've never, ever met. Just in prayer and intercession, God has just put a face in a situation, and it's just ordained by God. If we walk in the Spirit, we'll fulfill the law, we'll fulfill our purpose. To look on the outside of these, you may think by the outward appearance that something is wrong or they have some issue of life or may seem cast down or sad perpetually in pain, but it's not so. They're just not looking as joyous as everyone else, they, but they mourn standing in a gap for many and for the will of God where others do not have the strength to stand or know the words to pray. As the body has many members and each member serves different purposes, the body, without they that mourn, is a body void of, of discretion and the fear of the Lord. Many members in each one of us have a purpose. Matthew chapter 5, verse 5, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. The sister scripture to this, if you will, is found in Psalms chapter 37, verse 11, But the meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. And you'll see that same model in the book of Psalms. There are many blessed are scriptures through the book of Psalms. The word meek means to be humble and gentle. And the word humble means to not be proud or haughty, not arrogant or assertive. And just a short rabbit trail, even though that's a definition, it doesn't mean the church's place is to be run over. We'd be wise serpents, harmless as doves. That not being arrogant or assertive it's talking about in a negative way, a derogatory way. When a person is lifted up and they're quick to defend themselves instead of being humble. What's the scripture say? You know, hear the conclusion of the matter. We be slow to speak, slow to wrath. We've got one mouth, two ears. Maybe listen twice as much as we speak. Okay, praise God. We haven't taken up offering yet. 
These being full of humility and the fear of God, they live by the two great commandments, as is we all should. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy might, with all thy strength, with all thy soul. And the second commandment is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And what's the next verse say? Upon these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. The entire book hangs on those two commandments. There's not one book, not one law, not one scripture. Everything hangs on those two commandments. Love God with everything you are, everything you have, natural and spirit, and love your neighbor as yourself. These also live by, while they may not say this, but it's the lifestyle, I must be number three. Anyone ever heard of I must be number three? Okay, praise God. Years ago, I heard this story about a college young man who every day he went to class, he had I must be number three plastered. Every single day, I must be number three. His teachers, his peers, the students, his professors, they didn't know what it meant, and they speculated, well, maybe he wants to be number three in his GPA, number three in his class, maybe number three in the nation. Finally, one of the professors got the nerve to ask him, What's this mean? I must be number three. He said it's simple. God must be number one. Everyone else on the planet must be number two. And I must be number three. The meek <clears throat> don't exalt themselves, but they live in a base life. They think nothing of themselves, for they exalt all others above themselves, even thinking others at a higher place. Every one of you are greater than I. Giving you a thought. Every one of you are more spiritual than I. Wiser. All of you. And in my mind, I am the absolute least in this church. The absolute least in this planet. The meek doesn't belittle themselves, but it's that realization. We are just dust. There's no man or woman that's some great thing in God. And if we start to think we're some great thing, what did Paul say? Lest I be buffeted. You know, he talked about being exalted, all this wisdom, all this knowledge, all this revelation. He got a thorn in the flesh so that he might keep things in proper balance. Meekness will keep us in proper balance lest we be exalted above measure and find ourselves on the wrong side of Calvary. Pride will lead to destruction. In James, <clears throat> it declares, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. In Second Peter chapter 1, whereby are given to us exceeding great and precious promises that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And besides this, giving all diligence add to your faith virtue, and to your virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you should neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore, the brother, brethren, give diligence to make your calling election sure. For if you do these things, Second Peter chapter 1, verse 4 through 10, for if you do these things, you shall never fall. Does that go back to faith of this child? If God said it, I believe it. And if I will give diligence to have virtue and then to knowledge and then temperance and that lovely word patience, godliness, brotherly kindness, charity, which is love, if I'll let those abound in my life, I'll never fall. You'll never fall. Meekness, humility, in proper context requires marriage to other words like submission. 
obedience, self-denial, temperance, and patience. A Christian should be humble and meek and gentle at all times, even in the face of opposition, adversity, and defiance from others. And quite simply, in life, you will come to those places where you're not well received. And how do you respond and react? And I talked a little bit about that last week because the world watches how we act and react, how we respond and demonstrate. Meekness and humility is something that can keep us in the proper state of mind, alignment with the scripture and the word. This demonstrates to the world the character of that Christian and the power of God that works within them. How we deal with that. Temperance was one of those wonderful words. You know, how do you deal with situations? If you got here safe, praise God. You had a car, flat tire, praise God. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Not to rehash last week, but what we have isn't our own. If you have your marriage intact and your kids intact, praise God. If your family's intact and and you've never gone through the valley of the shadow of death, praise God. Those who have gone through it have learned a level of meekness, and those who have not have learned a level of meekness. And it takes the whole body to endure In Numbers chapter 12, verse 3, Moses, God declared him to be very meek above all men of the earth. There was none more meek than Moses. Psalms chapter 147, verse 6, the Lord lifted up the meek and casteth the wicked down to the ground. Psalms 149 and 4, for the Lord taketh pleasure in his people. He will beautify the meek with salvation. Psalms 25 and 9. The meek will he guide in judgment, and the meek will he teach his way. And you'll like this promise. Zephaniah chapter 2, verse 3. Seek ye the Lord, all ye meek of the earth, which have wrought his judgment. Seek righteousness, seek meekness. It may be ye shall be hid in the day of the Lord's anger. That's a precious promise. Brothers and sisters, the meek do not look for a fight or occasion to lift up their voice to be heard or to debate, but they follow the example of the Lord when he said, Take my yoke upon you. Learn of me, for I am meek and lowly. Take the example written in Peter to let it be the hidden man of the heart in which is not corruptible even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which in the sight of God is of great price. And in winning souls, our meekness and gentleness can make a difference. How you handle those situations, how you act and react, our attitudes are be attitudes. Second Timothy, and the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging the truth, that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil, who are taken captive by him at his will. So we talked, we mentioned the compound. Blessed are the meek, they shall inherit the earth. What is the earth? The world calls this globe earth. But when you look at the word of God, earth is the dry land. That's what God calls earth. And the gathering together the waters he calls seas. That's Genesis chapter 1, verse 10. In the last day, The last form of earth has no more seas. The enemy has been cast in the bottomless pit, Revelation chapter 20, and the bottomless pit, which is the abyss, and the abyss, which is the deep, Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, the same deep we find in Luke chapter 8, that the legion of the devil said, please don't cast us back in the deep, for they were cast in at the beginning and then loosed for a season. But this last form of earth, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. We see as the last form of earth. Revelation chapter 21, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, 
and there was no more sea. In that day, there's no more sea, there's no more enemy, there's no more destruction. There's Okay, I'll keep reading. And I, John, saw the holy city. I can't wait for the Lord to come back. I just can't. Um, it could be while I'm, while I'm teaching right now, as far as I'm concerned. And he can just come back for me. <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't want to be selfish. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> you know, I probably, I probably, I'm probably the dumbest man in the church, but I, I get jealous for God. And, uh, and I'm thankful for all of you that pray, but I, man, I just want them all to myself. I'm just jealous for the Lord. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will deal with them, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, It is done, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst at the fountain the water of life freely. He that overcometh, shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he should be my son. And I'll give you one last scripture before I move into Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, <clears throat> because this is a, just opportunity to sow the word of God. And uh, for transparency, as I was praying and preparing this series which I'm still doing, like I'm, I'm literally was writing this like minutes, finishing the last of it right before I stepped up here. Um, this isn't something I had on the bookshelf. I'm writing it every week. Um, but as I thought about it, I, um, I wanted to sow, sow and sow the word of God. Because when you hear it and it's founded on good ground, it can grow into a mighty oak, a mighty tree. And that's one of my purposeful intentions during this series is I want to sow the word of God uh, as much as I can because it's for the perfecting of the saints and the work of the ministry so that we might be prepared now and for the days to come, the years to come. So Colossians chapter 3, verse 12 through 14, put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things put on charity, love, which is the bond of perfectness. This is what we are to be. That last one is Colossians is really good. Well, they're all good. Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. Blessed are, the, are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. The word hunger means to famish, crave, be hungered or starving, indigent and poor. Thirst means to thirst or be thirsty. The word righteous means innocent, holy, just, meat. And it also means equity and equitable. That word equity and equitable means justice that is free from bias, favoritism, and to deal fairly with all. When we think about righteousness, does this not describe God Almighty? Because everything he does is always a just weight and balance. And we, if we're going to put on righteousness, that, that vesture of righteousness, we've got to have that, that same purity of love and that same love for everyone and not a bias to the left or right. There, can no, <clears throat> there cannot be an inner circle when it comes to soul winning. Everyone needs God. Okay. When God delivered this message to the people over 2,000 years ago, this was both so they might be saved and for how humanity should treat each other. This whole Matthew 5, 6, 7. So when thinking about the audience at the mountain, God Almighty was with them in the flesh. We know that. 
The Holy Ghost had not been poured out yet. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness was a salvation scripture. That the people might hunger and thirst after the Lord and for his truth and for his righteousness. That they might crave God more than anything to diligently seek his righteousness. Have you ever gone without food or water for a long period of time and you're just starving? Okay, for some, have you ever gone without a meal and you're starving? Okay. <laughs> but have you ever been starving? Yes. Have you ever been like thirsty and to the point that you'd eat just about anything? You, you just, you, you drive to Sherman to go get a drink, you know, if you had to that point. You're famished. Your belly's growling, feel all weak. Your mouth is so dry from the lack of fluids, chapped lips, everything else. And all the while, you're getting a bad attitude. You're doing what Brother Jonathan talked about in the past. You're getting hangry. Is that what it's called? Hangry? You're getting hangry? Hungry, angry, uh, or however it's said. You may not care for spam, but when you're starving, you'll eat what you would not usually eat when you're starving. I, I don't eat <laughs> Okay, I have never gotten to the place I had to eat spam. But um, probably asked the Lord to take me before then. But, <laughs> but <laughs> I'm just being serious, okay? <laughs> we all have different things we like. Praise God. <laughs> But the point is, when you're starving, you're going to eat things you may not usually eat. In the line, in the sand, if you will, when you think about hungering and thirsting, being starved, we can't follow the example of Esau. Esau forsook his faith in God that God could sustain him all for a morsel of bread and gave up his birthright because he took in something that was not ordained by God. The relevance to us is we can hunger and thirst after the things that are right by God's eyes, or we can hunger and thirst after what tickles our ears, what sounds good to the flesh. There's only one doctrine. There's only one Lord, one faith, one baptism. But what does the Scripture say right before that? Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. That word unity is henotos, which means oneness, endeavoring to keep the oneness of the Spirit in the bond of peace. It's Ephesians. There's only one doctrine. Someone can hunger and thirst and not be in a place, and they can receive something that maybe wasn't ordained by God. The second part of Matthew 5, chapter 5, verse 6 declares, For they shall be filled. This is speaking of being filled with the Holy Ghost. Boy, someone should have ran the aisles there. Do you see how this flows in perfect harmony? He's speaking to these people, this great crowd that had followed him from all these cities and all these places beyond Jordan. Not a one of them had the baptism of the Holy Ghost and fire. It hadn't been poured out yet. And he's saying, I'm offering to you manna from heaven that was established from the foundation of the world. As with many scriptures, the Lord spoke to the people in parables and with hard sayings and with the choice of words that offer the people a choice to hear in part and apply the text in the natural, or they could diligently seek him that they may know the Lord. And that means knowing the realms of eternity, which is intimacy. I'll give you two examples, and then we'll move forward and pray this mic doesn't, praise God. <laughs> I hear it crackling. John chapter 6, verse 35, And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. John chapter 6, verse 53, Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. These are great examples where Jesus spoke in a way to give his word, but the people had to desire to know what is the meaning, what's the interpretation, because it's not open for everyone to read and understand, to hear and perceive. These are, of course, salvation scriptures here. 
this intertwines with all of the text as the plan of salvation. And we'll discuss this greater in August, but just as a preview, we call Acts 2.38 the plan of salvation, but it's not. The plan of salvation is Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, through Revelation 22, 21. We are not going to show up to heaven and say, God, I got this one scripture right. <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> If a saint repents of their sins, change of mind from the old ways, and is baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking of the tongues as the Spirit of God gives the utterance, as outlined in Acts 2.38, Acts chapter 10, verse 44 to 48, but they do nothing else, then where's their faith and obedience? As it is written, faith without works is dead. To obey is better than sacrifice. And when we look further, dissecting the scriptures at the end time, those who have made their calling and election sure, what's he say? Will never hunger and thirst anymore, for they are perfected. This is the transformation where we're transformed to be like him. First John chapter 3, verse 1 to 2, And behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Revelation chapter 7, verse 16 and 17. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more, neither shall the sun light upon them, nor any heat. For the Lamb, which is in the midst of the throne, shall feed them, and shall lead them unto living fountains of water, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. They which hunger and thirst after righteousness are those seeking judgment, justice, and equity. These help and bless those in need, taking no thought for themselves, just as the meek, they seek no accolades of men. In James chapter 1, verse 25, But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the law, work, this man should be blessed in his deed. If any man among you seem to be religious, and violeth not his tongue, but receiveth his own heart, this man's religion is in vain. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction, and to keep himself unspotted from the world. Matthew chapter 5, verse 7, Blessed are the merciful for they shall obtain mercy. The word mercy means to be uh, compassionate by word or duty or, or word or deed and to have pity on. So what does it mean to be merciful, to be compassionate? Mercy and compassion, I can tell you right now, is more valuable than all the gold and diamonds in the world. To be merciful is to love with a pure and unbiased love agape love and it is possible in our humanity to offer love that's free of all preconceived anything just a love to offer to give to do without expecting anything at all in return ever or even the pat on the back or any of that stuff and perhaps that's a life every Christian should have is to love to that degree as God loves us. Mercy is not biased or selfish. Mercy has no cliques or inner circles. Mercy is not just for your family and friends. But mercy has a just weight and balance for all. Your neighbor or the stranger, even those who are opposed to you. If we think about mercy, where are we when we're face-to-face -face with those who are opposed to us? Do we get stiff-necked and we, do, we put on the, uh, the fake Holy Ghost smile? Or do we demonstrate true love in the face of adversity? If we, um, if we understood 
how real heaven and hell is. And if we understood how eternal it is. Because when that last trump sounds and the judgment is done and, and all is settled, there's no more second chances. There's no more altars. There's no more repentance. There's no more intercession. There's no more petitions or supplications. There's no more of us reaching for a lost and dying world. And for those who opposed you, how important is it that you have vengeance upon them above seeing them make it to heaven and the mercy of God travail? There's a scripture that talks about, you know, pray and, and the Lord will heap coals of fire, bless them in this and that. And, uh, and all that's Bible. It may be wiser, redeeming the time, to pray blessings on people in a way not to cause any destruction, but to cause them to turn wholly unto the Lord. It does no good for God to avenge you if that person could have made eternity and they burn in hell forever. Is this okay? It has really been on my mind about do we really understand how real heaven and hell is? Or are we just talking a good game? You know, putting our Pentecostal dollar in the offering plate and expecting a Holy Ghost revival for a dollar. Sorry, I'm because I'm meddling there. We can show up to heaven, and I, and I had to draw a line because I have to come back here because I, I just have to follow the Holy Ghost, okay? We can show up to heaven empty-handed, or we can be the merciful, we can be the compassionate, we can be those who love them into the gospel and not rebuke and condemn them to some other church that doesn't even teach truth. Why in the world would a saint have someone go to some church that doesn't even have the truth? We're to draw them in. Scripture says, compel them that my house might be full. Do you all know what that means? Because he's not talking about compelling that this building be full. Exactly. Compelling that my house might be full. That's the whole scripture is. Brother Dan, you correct this if you, you know, you feel good in the Holy Ghost or, or stand by it, whatever. But we, uh, we, are, we are quick to want to take and come to church, come to church and Jesus took the gospel to the highways and hedges. The apostles took the gospel to the highways and hedges. And church was on the streets. Church was in the supermarkets. Church was at the barber shops. Church was at the gas station. You have an opportunity right here and right now, 2021, to reach a people that are going to die if you don't stand up and let your voice open up and speak what God has put in your mouth. Lest we stand at the, at the throne of God one day and the Lord say, <clears throat> come here. Lest we be at the throne of God one day and God's, God's judging you. Here's Billy Bob. And we met Billy Bob over at the gas station, but we didn't do anything. And we had a chance. And God looks at Billy Bob and, where's your works? Open up the book. And Billy Bob's cast in the lake of fire. And God looks over to us and say, I put them in your path. I put them in your path so that you might minister to them and they might be saved. You don't have a job so you can get a paycheck. 
I'm just, I'm not even in my notes. You do not have a job so you can make a paycheck. The only reason you have a job is so that you can win people to God. That is it. You think you're going to the grocery store to buy groceries. You're not going to buy groceries. You're going because there's someone that needs to hear the saving grace of God. Sitting at the gas pump and there's someone right beside you and you keep them in your mouth shut. We should be ashamed. I figured I'd put my money where my mouth is and I bought a license plate. (laughs) Anyone seen it? $410 license plate. Says John 3.5. I know the amount of people that have seen that already. And I know the amount of people that are going to stop me and say, what does that mean? Tell me what that scripture is. To me, it was worth the money that one person might be saved. And I say that for only one purpose. We have got to put our money where our mouth is. And our money includes our time and effort, our energy and our strength. I did try to get Acts 2.38, but it was taken. <laughs> we are at time, almost time. Well, I got two minutes and their doors kind of not open. Okay, I'm not. I'm gonna stop there, and I'll, I'll come back to that next week. <clears throat> we uh, we need to be as a faithful servant. You know, in life, we have we get married, we have kids. That's our offspring, our heritage. And we train up our children what they should do and shouldn't do. And this is what God is doing with us. He's training us because we're his sons and daughters, and it's a father that teaches and leads and guides us. If I could provoke you before we end this, provoke you to jealousy of the Lord, provoke you to not hide your talent in the sand. Oh, Jesus. If I could provoke you to bring an increase, I provoke you to step out of your comfort zones. If you feel in the Holy Ghost to talk to someone, even the slightest nudge, I promise you the devil's not going to go tell you to go witness someone about how to be saved. The devil's not going to tell you to worship God. The devil's not going to tell you to pray. Maybe the next time we come in here and you feel like you need to dance Maybe you shouldn't look around to see what everyone else is doing. Just dance before the Lord. Am I meddling? Okay, okay. I want us to receive what God has for us. And the only way for us to do that is to get us out of the way. Not my will, but his. Not our names exalted, but his. Not our voices exalted, but his. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Some may think, well, I don't have it in me to go witness or to go talk. Well, Moses didn't either. Look what God did with him. It is amazing. And if you knew the full story of Moses, it would just blow you away even more. The water that delivered him as a baby was the same water that God would have him part as a man. If you study it out, same exact water stream. God knows what he's doing. Okay, I'll I'll hush. It's time. I love y'all. Continue to pray for the, uh, you know, the uh, Walker home, the Ralph, uh, Sister Joanna, Carl, all the family members over, over their loss. And um, continue, please, to, to bear up those that you don't see at church that should be here. There's some that aren't here because of sickness and things. Like, you know, Sister Brittany Schubert was, I was so ecstatic to see her the other day. Brother Chris Donahue, we haven't seen in a while. Just things outside of their control. Um, there's some that could be here, but for, for different reasons, whatever, they're not. 
Call their names. Stand between a porch and an altar. If you don't, who will? Maybe you might make a difference, and they might make their calling election sure they might receive the promise that God's foreordained from them. Is this good? Okay. Lord, we thank you for this, uh, this time of fellowship, this time of the breaking of the bread. I thank you, Lord, for that living water that flows out of the rock. I thank you for the manna that come down out of heaven, Lord, ordained from the foundation of the world through today that we might be saved, that we might have that like precious faith, that we might receive, Lord, the inheritance that you preordained for every one of us. I ask you, Lord, with every scripture spoken, with every revelation from you, that you would sow it on the tables of our hearts, sow it inside our members, God, that your name would have the preeminence in every part of our life. Let our minds be transformed that we may put on the mind of Christ to do and walk and live and breathe according to what you would desire. Open our hearts, God. God fully. Let our minds, God, be hoping unto you. Our hearts be hoping unto you. Let us, mm, let us follow the still small voice of God and to testify and witness and compel him that your house might be full. I pray boldness on the church as a place, God, where the people came together and they prayed that you, God, will grant them boldness to speak your word. And the house was shaken, I read. Lord, grant boldness to this people, Lord, to reach a lost and a dying world, to give their testimony to a people that do not know you and do not know you in the power of your might. Let salvation and strength come. Anoint your people, Lord, with fresh oil. Let it flow from the crown of the head to the sole of the feet. We call in you, Lord, between a porch and an altar that you would meet us as a father does, protecting and shielding, leading and guiding. We surrender, Lord, at this altar everything we have. Have your way and have your free course. I want everyone to say, I surrender to you, Lord. Have your way in my life in Jesus' name. If you believe that and you desire that, you can be dismissed. If not, there's an altar. <laughs> I love y'all. Be blessed. Oh, don't forget uh, offering at the door. Um, if you'd like to give, if you wouldn't like to give, give an offering. Thank you very much. Love y'all. <laughs>